Today on Ag News Daily. We're still shrinking this cow herd in the beginnings. We're just starting to see those feedlots become emptier now based on the cows that were slaughtered a year and a half to two years ago. So we've got a lot more shrinkage to go yet with next year's meat production expected to be down. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Monday, October 24th podcast sponsored today by Red Summit Advisors and farmingtheweb.ca. Create your first listing today and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Tanner, two sponsors today. This doesn't happen often. It doesn't. I'm trying to figure out where the nearest Tim Hortons is to me. (laughs) I know. I was thinking that too. I've only seen them up north for the most part. Man, I'm going to end up winning this because I'm going out to farmingtheweb.ca and I'm going to get this gift card and have to travel further than the gift card's worth to use it. You can, you know, we just booked a little trip to Michigan, so you can give it to me. Oh, <laughs> I'll exchange it for oh, okay. another $15 gift card for something closer. How's that sound? That sounds good. Perfect. Would you have a good weekend? I did have a good weekend. Blaine wrapped up harvest. So that's exciting, which right in the nick of time, because now we're getting quite a bit of wet weather here, Tanner, across the Midwest. Yeah, I would say a lot of people are welcoming the wet weather, whether it's to use additional moisture molecules to seal anhydrous application that'll come here in a week or two, or if it's just to give themselves a break so they could fix what needs to be fixed and regroup for the last push of the harvest season. Yes, and it is going to be a last push because we're definitely ahead of pace for the year, Tanner. But quite a bit of wet weather across the Corn Belt certainly pushed markets lower this morning, which we're going to chat with Arlen Suderman about here in just a moment. But it's definitely some much needed rain, Tanner, as we continue to see more of the Midwest pushing into drought. The drought U.S. drought monitor that was released last week shows that seven of the top 18 producing corn states are in some severe drought, where five of the top 18 states are currently reporting 100% drought stress, Tanner, and D4 exceptional drought is present in those seven of the top 18. So nearly 50% of the U.S. is currently in drought as of last week's drought monitor, and that is certainly not ideal as we see maybe some lackluster yields coming out of the field. Yeah, that uh, would certainly lead to what we're hearing. Of course, there's some places that benefited from timely shots of rain, but ultimately missing a lot of subsoil moisture. What we're also missing, Delaney, is diesel stockpiles. They are the lowest point since 2008, with only enough claimed supply for 25 days. According to Bloomberg, the most recent report that came out, demand is also at its highest point since 2007. So those are not two factors, Delaney, that need to go hand in hand. It's created a dangerous supply-demand combination that's causing spikes in pricing. The Biden administration called the national nationwide diesel supply unacceptably low and is looking at all options to rebuild the national supply. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the average price of diesel this year is $5.34 a gallon. That's $1.67 more than this time last year. California itself saw a $2 hike per gallon. The other place to land this could potentially hit more, have more issues hitting residents is the New England area because they heat their homes with diesel fuel. But for our listeners, 
they're all feeling the pain as they make their trips across the field field this fall. Well, and this could have some impact, Tanner, beyond just the United States. Uh, Europe is currently buying a lot of Russian diesel to help fill their energy gap as well. But this is going to have to stop because, as we know, we've seen Russia put uh, some measures in place and an embargo will go on Russian fuel starting in February. So we're seeing Europe really try to fill up some of that energy gap that they might have and... It's going to be interesting to see how the U.S. can source some of these as well, because it's going to be a global shortage that we could see here, Tanner. Yeah, it's not going to be great if we don't ramp up production and figure things out. Also, got some news from over the pond. Israel had destroyed reports of destroying an Iranian drone manufacturing plant in Syria. The Israeli Air Force has reported the destruction of this drone factory located in the Syrian territory on Saturday. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights has reported this. They stated that during the night, Friday into Saturday, the Air Force bombed this target, disabled its radar and takeoff runway. This is in the benefit to the Ukrainian side. The Israeli military quoted that the explained attack was executed with missiles launched from the Sea of Galilee and anti-aircraft defenses shot down most of the projectiles. However, a lot were successful. This is a unit that has been transporting Iranian weapons from Syria to Lebanon under the command of Fadi and states that this was positive because of the insurmountable destruction their drones drones had caused on Ukraine. So a little bit of allied support there, it looks like, Delaney, over the weekend. Well, and Tanner, it's interesting, you know, as we continue to look at geopolitical issues, Ukraine's latest bill for post-war reconstruction has now topped 750 billion with a B dollars, according to their prime minister on Monday. He made these comments in a speech to a German Ukrainian business forum, which he also said that the investment potential of the Ukrainian agricultural sector is going to be vast for those that are interested in getting involved there. But that's quite the hefty price tag to rebuild. Yeah, that was a bigger number than I was expecting. But also something that's bigger than I had been expecting was farming the web. Are you looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell agricultural products or get the word out about your ag event? Avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca, Canada's best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. Well, now that Timmy Horton's card makes a lot more sense, Delaney, as I read that ad. But another country that is looking to add some more sense to their cabinet is China before the start of their 20th party Congress next week, very few people knew who this man appointed to become the next premier was. So Li Kuang is going to become China's second most powerful leader. And that name would be familiar to our listeners back, Delaney, when you reported on the article around the lockdowns in Shanghai. He was part of the uh group that handled handed over Shanghai's two-month COVID lockdown, which obviously sparked a lot of public anger, protests, and their economy caused some damages there. But also, like you said, Delaney, in that report, it triggered a little bit of uh, 
a downside to pork markets and soybean meal markets when you had talked about that. He is a 63-year-old man that has now been appointed to be the second highest ranking standing member on the committee. He's also poised to become China's next premier at their annual legislative session in March when Li Qiquang steps down after his two terms. So uh, there's a lot of comparisons here to the past. Of course, President President Xi has stated that uh, he was still willing to work with the United States for ag products and was appointing what appeared to be someone with loyalty and trustworthiness and also aligned with his views because Delaney, the second candidate, was a part of another political party and President Z did not have that in any interest. So it'll be interesting to see more that comes out of China with Li Kuang potentially becoming the next premier of China. You're doing such an interesting job produce, pronouncing those names, Tanner. <laughs> How would you say it? I don't know. I have to look at it to know for sure. Uh, L-I-X-I-Q-I-A-N-G. So if you're going to Google them, Hmm. good luck. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in some other international news here, the Dutch have reported that they are calling around 44,000 turkeys that have been impacted by avian influenza. This was according to the Dutch government on Saturday. This comes from the town of Hedel which is 50 kilometers southeast of Utrecht. And this also implemented not only a call of 44,000 turkeys, but also a transportation ban was imposed on 10 additional nearby farms, according to the Agricultural Ministry. And this is just one of many cases that have been reported in the Netherlands in the past few months. So it appears that we are going to continue to see this in the headline scanner. Yes, we will. Well, I got two quick hits here before we... Wrap up our news for today. Cattle and calves on feed per slaughter were above or were 1% below the October 1st, 2021 level. The inventory was at 6.9 million steers and steer calves down 2% from the previous year. The group unaccounted for or the group accounted for 60% of the total inventory. Heifers and heifer calves were down to 4.55 million. Placements and feedlots also we're down 4% to a total of 2.08 million. So I'm sure when we talk markets today on the cattle side of things, that will really come into play. But banker confidence is low, hit a two-year low this last month in the rural economy. The sixth time in the last seven months, the rural economy had posted signs of weakness, stated from the Rural Main Street Index of Creighton University. October 22, the RMI hits 44.2. That is down from September's 46.3, the fifth consecutive month where this rating has fallen. Of course, they're blaming high input prices, Delaney. But banks were asked to estimate the increase of farm equity in 2022. On average, they said 3.4%, which is six-tenths of a percent below the USDA's projection. So uh, not great there. Farmland obviously still shows some strengths, but that could be turning around. Let's pause here. Real quick for a message from our sponsor today. Hey, this is Ann over at the BLM. With this drought, we're going to need to cut that permit two weeks early. We sure want those calves, but they'll be coming in light, so we'll need to negotiate. Hey, this is your Red Summit Advisors agent. We've got a check in the mail to you now from your PRF policy. Help restore your peace of mind with solutions like pasture, rangeland, and forage insurance. Visit RedSummit.com or call 1-800-825-2355 to talk with a local agent about how PRF insurance could help you stay afloat this year.
Well, Tina, I think that we are getting close to wrapping up news for today. Other than I just wanted to mention, you know, as we continue to talk about how the barge traffic is impacting the grain markets, water levels continue to fall in the Mississippi and Ohio rivers. I saw this today. Lowest we've seen in 1988, Tanner. Oof. I know exactly how long that is. Is that how old you are? 1988? No comment. Okay. <laughs> right? A woman never tells her age. Oh, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> is there something you want to tell us, Tanner? Okay, this is going downhill quickly. So what other news do you, do you have today before we wrap I, things up and hit markets? All out of news. Let's get right into the markets. All right, perfect. Well, it's certainly not a pleasant day today in the markets, especially in soybeans today, as new crop soybeans shed 23 cents to close at 13.72. New crop corn closed two and three quarters cents lower at 6.81 and a half. December Chicago wheat down 12 pennies on the day to close at 8.38 and three quarters. And taking a look at the livestock pits today, Tanner, we saw green across the screen as the December live cattle contract added $1.70 to close at a buck 54, 12 and a half. The November feeder cattle contract added 80 cents to close at a buck 79.15. And December feeder, excuse me, December lean hogs closed $1.20 lower at 87.92 and a half. Tanner, let's kick it over to our conversation with Arlen Suderman. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting markets today with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, thanks for coming on today and joining us. Certainly appreciate it. Glad to be with you, Delaney. Arlen, I feel like we have to start with the pressure that we saw in grains today, especially in the soybean markets. What was going on here on this Monday? Kind of ironic that the soybeans were down so hard on a day when we had uh, USDA report the largest weekly shipments that we'd seen in quite some t- in, in about a year in the fourth largest weekly total on record. Uh, but I think that's indicative of the macro market factors that have been impacting these markets lately. And today, I think a lot of it was on China uh, with the 20th Congress meeting of the uh, Chinese Communist Party ending over the weekend. It was definitely a move to uh, concentrate Xi Jinping's power in China to reinforce his commitment to take control of Taiwan and to stick with the COVID controls, a zero COVID toler- uh, policy there. And that doesn't bode well for the economy of China and perhaps not well for the exports of U.S. commodities to China. So all of the, you know, crude oil and the grain and oil seeds really took a hit as a result and soybeans probably more than anything else. Delaney, he did a much better job of pronouncing the Chinese leaders' names <laughs> than I did as I butchered the article earlier. So we appreciate getting the correct or at least a better sounding pronunciation on that side of things. So outside of the Chinese factor that potentially is causing markets to drag down, we also saw a little bit of a lower close in the corn market. Are they seeing other problems that we're facing? 
Yeah, I've worked on that pronunciation with my Chinese employees. They've helped me on that. So <laughs> there's been a little bit of practice working on that. But when we look at corn, uh, it kind of have been flowed with wheat. Uh, whenever wheat came off of its lows, then corn seemed to firm. And when wheat went lower, then corn pulled back lower as well. But it was the more stable of the three major grain and oil seeds in today's market. Overall, it's still caught up in a sideways trading pattern. On the upside, we have a cr- small crop getting smaller and uh, more risks ahead that we could get it, see it get even smaller in November. We have very tight supplies here. Uh, but on the downside, we're seeing exports being rationed pretty significantly by the high freight costs related to the low water levels on the Mississippi River. Uh, and uh, by the strong dollar, that combination is really hurting exports. But global supplies of corn are still snug, but we're just not going to see um, the fund managers have any interest in sustaining ownership of any of these ag commodities until or unless they get a strong, compelling, imminent story, uh, as long as the VIX, which is Wall Street's fear index, is above 30. And it just continues to linger. It did dip below 30 on Friday, uh, and uh, but it, it's back up above 30 again today, showing that fear levels are still high there among fund managers. So Arlen, you mentioned that a smaller crop continues to get smaller, which seems like has been the case this year so far. Where do you expect to see final yields for corn and soybeans? Well, going all the way back in July, the my former agronomy experience as an agronomist told me that we were probably looking at a crop in the low 170s. Um, then we had the pro farmer crop tour come out uh, with a yield of 168, and I thought that's probably too low. My yield model, which is not our official estimate, we use a customer survey for that, but my yield model has gone down to 168. I think pro farmer may have even been 167. So my yield model's down there. I still think that's a little bit more on the low side, but I do think we're going to be close to that 170 level. And Arlen, has the market already priced in that level? I believe that the market has priced in that level right now, and that does necessitate rationing. But with the high dollar and with the high freight rates right now going through the Mississippi and the Gulf of of New Orleans, um, Gulf of Mexico there, the ports of New Orleans, we are seeing that rationing take place. The fact that we're rationing exports makes it a little bit easier for domestic users to continue to sustain demand a little bit longer. And we've seen a, a jump in ethanol production once again. To, to strengthen the demand in that sector. But I do believe the markets have probably priced in that size of a crop yet at this point. So it's interesting that you bring up the ethanol side of things. It does feel like demand is really high on all sides of the sector. We reported today on an article stating we only have 25 days left of diesel fuel in the supplies compared to a surging demand need there. How is that going to be looked at over the future here, the next upcoming months, as far as fuel and oil supplies go? Yeah, I've been saying now for a couple of months that I feel like the canary in the coal mine for inflation is how does Europe get through the winter amid the the war in Ukraine? Because that's... 
that's really going to shape our energy outlook and our energy supply. Because when Europe runs short, they look to imports of liquefied natural gas, which some of that comes from the United States, and diesel. And we're, even if it doesn't come from us, we're competing with the same sources. And uh, so if they are unable to make it through the winter with the reserves that they have, then that's going to further push supplies tighter while also reducing the ability to produce fertilizer and crop chemicals for the Northern Hemisphere 2023 crop, which means they're going to be competing on the world market with us for those as well. So I think the real key to do we have enough diesel prices, what uh, supplies, what are we going to have to pay for diesel? Will we have enough fertilizer? What will we have to pay for it? What about crop chemicals, et cetera? All of that really hinges to a great extent on how well does Europe make it through the winter? Is it a normal winter? Is it a cold winter? Um, and right now, I think diesel may be one of those things that they struggle the most to make it through the winter with, even if with a normal winter. So Ireland, should folks be looking to lock in potential energy needs now for 2023? Yeah, it really comes down to risk management and how much risk exposure can you afford to take. And if you can afford to pay today's diesel prices that, you know, forward it out and lock in coverage for as we look into next year and you can make your margin work and maintain the, the, uh, uh, maintain the integrity or or the equity in your farm is the word I'm looking for, then it makes business sense to do some of that. And so that's one of the things you need to be looking at is not just what are the prices for grains being offered for next year's crop, but what about inputs? What can you lock in working with your supplier? Um, it's, it's difficult for an individual producer to work with the derivatives to lock it in themselves for fuel and fertilizer, but sometimes working with their supplier, they can pool some of those customer needs and do that and help you limit your risk, you know, really manage your risk exposure. That's a good question, Delaney, but I'm going to switch topics once again into the livestock side of things because we saw a bullish report coming out with the cattle on feed report Friday. And it looked like coming out of the close today, everything was going to continue to push higher. So is that mainly what we're trading on today? Yeah, I think what the cattle on feed report did on Friday was just kind of confirm that we are finally starting to tighten up those supplies of cattle. But beyond that, we did have cash prices last week in the Southern Plains, two to three dollars above the previous week. But last week's slaughter was 673,000 head. That was 15,000 head larger than what was expected and the third largest of the year. Cumulative slaughter over the past nine weeks or so is up 3.4% versus a year ago as packers um, are starting to run more smoothly and they're in search now for grain volume for the upcoming holiday order fulfillment. So they're getting those supplies ready for the holidays, meeting those needs right now. That's pushing the demand. They also know that supplies are going to be getting tighter and tighter as we go into next year because we're still shrinking this cow herd in the beginnings. We're just starting to see those feedlots become emptier now based on the cows that were slaughtered a year and a half to two years ago. So we've got a lot more shrinkage to go yet with next year's meat production expected to be down about six or six and a half percent. Yeah. And Arlen, when you look at the feeder cattle charts, you know, we've been at these sustained price levels for multiple years here now. Are we expecting to continue to see this be the trend in 2023? 
Yeah, the real question is what our feed price is going to do. That's going mm-hmm. to really have that impact on feeder cattle. Um, so far, they're they're making that balance work. Fat cattle have to maintain a level versus feeder cattle and those feed prices to make the crush work. Um, and that's what the market's trying to do. That also there's a certain limit to how much the consumer will buy. What's the economy going to do? If we start to see the economy come out of a slump and we get some better news and the consumer starts feeling better about things that increases demand, then that certainly allows the fat cattle prices to go higher and allows feeder cattle prices to go higher but if we dip into a deeper more of a recessionary period and the consumer pulls back and they start moving down the value chain they move from beef down to pork down to poultry and that makes it really difficult to sustain those fat cattle level prices high enough to sustain a feeder cattle market moving higher marlon you've shed a lot of light in our conversation today but what are we missing what else do we didn't we touch on yet well, I think one of the critical things that uh, producers and end users both for different reasons need to be keeping their eyes on is China and Taiwan. Uh, we know all know about what's happening in Ukraine and how that's impacting the markets. I started talking about a year and a half ago about the risk of China trying to take control of Taiwan. I got a lot of chuckles and laughter at the point. But this past week's meeting of the Congress uh, in China, I think really elevates that risk significantly and moves the timeline forward. And why is that a concern? Because China is the largest importer of commodities versus Russia and Ukraine were major exporters commodities. So we're dependent on doing business with China. But the thinking in the marketplace is if China moves on Taiwan and we do the, what we typically do in the United States and start putting on sanctions that could dramatically have an adverse effect on our exports of commodities to China. So I wouldn't be surprised if we woke up some morning and that was the headlines that we would see limit down moves in the grain and oilseed markets, particularly for soybeans and possibly for corn and wheat as well. Well, we'll have to definitely stay on top of that one and keep an eye on that situation as it continues to progress. But Arlen, we know that you stay on top of things often on social media and elsewhere. If our listeners want to connect with you, how can they find you? At stonex.com or over on Twitter. You can direct message me with a question and I try to answer as many of them as I can. Fantastic. Arlen, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, there you go, Landon. Got a little bit of a Chinese lesson in today's episode. I wouldn't listen to the first part, but definitely tune into the second part if you're going to go back and re-listen. Yeah, I wish that we had someone to teach us how to say all those names. Cassidy, if you're listening, that's your next step is uh, start <laughs> working on a Google Translate lesson for us so we can get things put together. But what a good show. A great Monday to be back, Delaney. But what do you say? Should we let this one go? Let's let him go.